All right. Thanksgiving week. How do you celebrate Thanksgiving in a world full of war, anxiety? We're um, be the third winter for Ukraine to experience after the beginning of a war with Russia. They didn't invite. There's war in the Middle East right now. How do we celebrate Thanksgiving at a time like that? And what does that have to do with the book of Proverbs? Well, um, if you study Thanksgiving, not only its history in this nation, but in many nations and in many Christian communities around the world over the centuries, you find out that there's a, a connection between desire for peace and periods of anxiety and thanksgiving. There's a connection between gratitude for peace after a season of anxiety and conflict and turmoil and thanksgiving. Just to hit a few highlights, 1621, what we often remember is the first thanksgiving uh, in uh, the colonies of the U.S. Pilgrims celebrating a Thanksgiving feast with the Wampanoag people. Why? Tremendous anxiety. Would there be enough food to get us through the winter? Thanksgiving is the celebration at the end of that se season of anxiety. Fast forward to 1789. President George Washington writes a proclamation. Congress has approved a a nationwide day of thanksgiving. Why? To celebrate the fact that there are now answers to the questions of what would happen to these colonies during the Revolutionary War. And after they won that war, would they remain a union? Would they learn how to get along? So celebrating the ratification of the Constitution, right? this season of anxiety now leads to thanksgiving. And, of course, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln calls for a nationwide day of thanksgiving during the Civil War. The war hasn't ended. The war's still going on. And he says this is a time for thanksgiving. Why? Because even though there's so much upheaval in the country, if you read his proclamation, he's saying there are a lot of things that are still working as they should. Not all of life has been disrupted and destroyed by war. Let's give thanks for that. But while we're giving thanks, let's ask God to extend his hand and restore peace. You see the connection between anxiety and thanksgiving. The connection between looking at the world and saying there's a tension between what we're experiencing and what we desire. And our thanksgiving is tinged by that desire and longing for peace. The book of Proverbs invites us into a story about peace. It's a story that is uh, often expressed with a phrase, uh, better than. About 12 different Proverbs in the whole book have that structure. This is better than that. This thing is better than that thing. It's an invitation to enter into a new kind of peace, a better than comparison. We're going to hear some themes that run through those better than Proverbs as our scripture text is read this morning. The better than is going to invite us to reflect on that tension between what we long for, the peace we're hoping for, the anxiety we actually experience right now, and a better way forward. Let's hear what God has to say to us from his word in Proverbs. Thanks, Megan. 
The scripture reading this morning is selections from Proverbs. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you ever see a food photo? That's a thing now, right? Taking pictures of your food, maybe while you're eating it, maybe before, maybe halfway through the process. A little commentary on how much you're enjoying it. Did you ever see a food photo of a cold Kroger brand bagel with no cream cheese on it? I'm still searching the internet for that picture. It's not out there. Right? Why? Because everybody knows that uh, dry bread is not better than anything. Um, a, part of, a part of the peace that God offers us is the peace of knowing that there is something better. But, but if that's true, then why doesn't it seem better? It doesn't seem better to have a cold Kroger bagel than to have a house full of feasting. And yet that's what Proverbs tells us, right? Proverbs 17 verse 1 says, Better is a dry morsel. Now the, the word morsel here means a fragment, a piece broken off. Better is a dry piece of bread with no sauce, no oil, no hummus to dip it in. Mediterranean diet, right? It is better to have a dry piece of bread with nothing on it it's better to take a food photo of a cold Kroger bagel with no cream cheese than a house full of feasting with strife. It's better to eat the dry bread with peace and quiet and relational health and harmony than a house full of feasting. The Hebrew word for feasting is actually sacrifices. The kind of feasting you would have when you had just taken sacrifices to the temple and brought back barbecued meat. <laughs> now, come on. This is Atlanta. Is it better to have a house full of barbecue and all those smells or a dry crust of bread and nothing to dip it in? It doesn't seem better to have a dry crust of bread than a house full of feasting, does it? It doesn't seem better. Google Thanksgiving. Don't do it right now, okay? Might not get you back. 
But Google Thanksgiving. You won't get pictures of happy families eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It doesn't seem better to be a happy family that has very little than to be a house that can afford to take the finest of offerings to the temple and publicly display their piety and feast all day long until all the food is gone. And if there's a little bit of relational tension, we'll just deal with it because everybody knows it is better to prosper than to eat PBJ on Thanksgiving Day, even if you have healthy, happy relationships. It doesn't seem better to have a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. How many video games do you know that give you points for exercising self-control? <laughs> right? There are so many first-person shooters that celebrate the mighty warrior who takes the city by himself. It doesn't seem better. I mean, listen to what God's Word says, right? Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Now, I'm not dissing video games. I'm just making the point that every time Proverbs says this thing is better than that thing, it doesn't seem like it. It sure doesn't seem that way. We don't reward people for turning the other cheek when they ought to be angry. We don't make commercials recruiting people into an army of self-control. We do make commercials recruiting people into armies that will conquer cities. It doesn't seem better. Right? That's the whole point. Proverbs says somebody's got to tell us what's better because so many other voices around us are saying just the opposite. Okay, self-control when you're angry is good, but sometimes the only way to get stuff done in this world is through anger and power. You've got to just be a bully. Everybody knows that. And quiet, quiet is overrated. In fact, if your house is filled with strife, you can probably be on reality TV and make a ton of money. And you'll be famous and you'll be able to feast. And you know what? Proverbs says that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Chapter 22, verse 1. Favor is better than silver or gold. But guess what? If you got enough money, you can ignore the critics. And you don't care whether you have a good name with them or not. It doesn't seem better to have a good name than to have a stinking ton of money. <laughs> okay, there is one famous exception here, right, in our culture, and that's um, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. As uh, Marshall said earlier, by the end of the week, we are legally obligated to start the Christmas season. Um, yeah, the Cratchit family feast is probably this one exception, right, where... He seems to get the message of Proverbs, right? It's better to have a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better to have a good name than great riches. Of course, the character of Ebenezer Scrooge is needing to learn these lessons. 
And so he gets this vision of the Cratchit family sitting down at the table for their feast, and it's a pretty, pretty meager affair. There's not much there except happiness, except joy, except real thanksgiving. But guess what? This is fiction. Somebody had to carefully craft a literary masterpiece. That's what it takes to push against the whole world saying to us, that's not really better. It's kind of better to be Scrooge. It's kind of better to do whatever you have to do to get ahead. And holding hands around the table won't fill your empty stomach if there's no feasting to go with all of that quiet. How can we know it's better? What if Dickens is wrong? What if it is just fiction? What if it is just a sentimental piece of Christmas schmarm? What if it's not true? How can we know that it's better? That's part of the good news of the book of Proverbs. That we can know that there is a better. That the universe is not one of moral chaos where you just flip a coin and do whatever you want because there is no way to know what's good, what's right. There's no way to evaluate one thing as better than another because there's nobody who could stand outside it all and look at it and make that kind of evaluation. But God comes near to us in his word and he says, I will speak a better wisdom than your experience. Proverbs 21.30 says, No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. He has a wisdom greater than ours. And so he can say definitively that in this world where you often have to make hard choices, if you're faced with a choice between feasting where there's relational tension and conflict or having very little but having healthy relationships, the better choice is to have the little with love. There is someone who can stand outside the system and say, I know that to be true. I have a wisdom greater than yours, and I will tell you, even when it seems opposite, this path, though it is hard, is better. It is hard to work toward quiet and peace and healthy relationships. It is hard to have less when you see that others around you have more. But God says, even when it is hard, I will tell you it is better. I speak a better wisdom than your experience. And even when life seems to be random and chaotic, that too is underneath my wisdom. That's the point of Proverbs 17, uh, 30, uh, sorry, 1633. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. 
It's like the ancient equivalent of throwing dice. It may look random. It may, the universe may look like it's chaotic and it's spinning out of control. And so who can say what's right and who could say what's better? And God says, I can say. There's nothing random about this world. A lot of things seem out of control. But I speak a better wisdom than your understanding and your experience. And you can know that there is a better way. There is something so good, it's worth enduring hardship to have it. Let's talk about peace and not just knowing that the better exists, but peace and the strength to actually live this better wisdom even when it's hard. There's something about knowing this God that can give us strength to live these better forms of wisdom, even when it's hard. Let's just walk through them, these better statements that we've heard read this morning. Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. Even when someone makes me so angry, I want to destroy them. I can live the peace of forgiveness. When someone has provoked my anger and everybody around me would say, yeah, this is one of those times when angry would, anger would be completely justifiable. Let it all out. <laughs> Here is God saying to us, there's a better way. There is a way toward peacemaking and reconciliation and forgiveness. And nobody's going to make a video game about that one. But that's okay. That video game probably wouldn't be that fun. But this reality is better. The reality of forgiveness. And, and notice that there's a social um, implication here. This is not just about sort of individual character formation. When a mighty warrior takes a city in the ancient world, it's to benefit the entire army, the whole people. And here is God saying, it would be better for your whole society if there were more people who would learn to control their anger when they are offended than if your army won its every battle. It would be better for all of us if I would learn to control my anger and walk the path of forgiveness instead. There is peace on that path. That would be better. And, and here is God saying, you can have real strength to do that. He doesn't just say this in the Old Testament. It's real. It's the same concept in the New Testament. This is Colossians chapter 3 talking to us about, well, meekness. Meekness is the New Testament word for what Proverbs is talking about. Being gentle even when you'd rather be angry. It says, because you're God's chosen ones, you're his holy and beloved people. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness and humility. 
meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against someone else, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. God hasn't dealt with us in anger. He has dealt with us in mercy and forgiveness. It's possible to live this better path of forgiveness instead of anger. Contentment. Proverbs 17.1 says, A good name is to be chosen instead of great riches. Favor is better than silver or gold. There are going to be moments when you and I are envious Envious of people who seem to have all the markers of success. They measure up. We don't. We don't have those same markers of success. We don't have great riches. We're not amassing the silver and the gold. We have the dry morsel with quiet. We don't have a house full of feasting. Sometimes, let's be honest. I don't just envy nice people who have more than I do. And I have plenty. But I envy virtue-signaling hypocrites. That, that's what Scripture's talking about. If you thought that was a 21st century problem, well, no. <laughs> right? A house full of feasting. Remember, those are sacrifices. These are people who look like good They are virtue signaling faith in Yahweh. We believe this God. We have worshipped Him in the temple. We did our sacrifices. When the feasting is all over, we're going to be at each other's throats. We are hypocrites. And yet, here is God saying, it is possible to live the peace of contentment and to say, you know what? There are many voices around me telling me that it's better to have a house full of feasting. There are many voices around me telling me the best thing I could hope for is piles and piles of silver and gold and great riches and a successful career and all the markings and trappings that go with that. But in the end, if all I have is genuine faith, real trust in the God I'm worshiping, and genuine love, real peace and quiet in my relationships. If that's all I have, I am richer than the richest person on the face of this planet. Pretty much what Jesus said, right? Take everything else away. If you can love God, real faith, and love your neighbor as yourself genuine love and relationships. That's what you were made for. Living like that really is possible. You'll be tempted to take the easy way out in this world. Uh, If you are under the age of 25, you regularly think about being famous. I know it. How do I know that? I live with some people who are under the age of 25. And you live in a different world than I did. Like in my world, I grew up in a little town of 6,000 people in the upstate of South Carolina. To be famous meant 6,000 people knew my name, right? 
Maybe some people in the next town over, 15 miles away, would know my name. That was fame. Not now. You can actually think. One day, everybody on this planet who's got a phone in their pocket could see the video I made. They could know my name. And if enough of them see the video I made, I will start getting paid for putting more videos like that online. <laughs> I can be famous. I can have money. I can get influence. And all I have to do is either invent a really cool new dance move or because of the way all these algorithms work, <clears throat> I just got to do something extreme. I got to say something extreme. I just need to push the limits of human decency. I just need to stir up some controversy. That will get promoted. That will go viral. I just need to stir up some anger. I need to diss somebody. I need to go. I need to attack somebody and tear them down. And that will generate more controversy and that will generate more likes and that will generate, I'll, I can be, if you're 25 or under every day, you're, that pressure is real. And people like me are like, no, that's not real. You're exaggerating. Am I? I don't think I am. It was the same back in Abbeville with 6,000 people's worth of famous all you had to do was start a fight in the parking lot after school one day. <laughs> Tell some dude that his little brother was ugly as sin. Oh, a lot of people are going to hear your name. The world hasn't changed that much. Can we live this path of peace called courage? The courage to choose a hard way. I'm going to choose the hard way of building people up instead of tearing them down. I'm going to choose the hard way of, of walking away from the anger instead of trying to stir it up. I'm going to choose the hard way of not doing and saying the extreme thing. Of not liking the people who are doing and saying the extreme things. It's going to cut me out of a lot of conversations. I will not know all the latest trending memes. I won't understand the memes I do see. I, I'll be left out of a lot. But I'll be making peace in a world that surely needs more of it. What does this have to do with the bigger story of Scripture a story about a God who plans and puts into action and invites you and me into the peace that he has made through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. President Lincoln said this as part of his Thanksgiving proclamation in 1861. Uh, 
Thanksgiving didn't become an annual federal holiday until the 1940s, and that's a story about political strife and conflict. If you want to learn more about the need for peace in a broken world, read that story. It was called Franksgiving for a while as a way of getting a dig in at President Roosevelt. Very partisan politics attached to our national holiday, so meditate on that while you eat your bird on Thursday. The world is broken, and we need peace. This is what President Lincoln said. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. He's just listed a number of good gifts that the citizens of the nation of which he was president were experiencing, even though it was a time of war and turmoil and conflict. Not every harvest field had been destroyed in the war. Not every family had been disrupted. Many had, but not everyone. And he's pausing to give thanks for those realities. And he's saying, we didn't do this. They are the gracious gifts of the highest God who while dealing with us in anger for our sins hath nevertheless remembered mercy. President Lincoln wasn't a gospel preacher, but man, he did a great job in that one phrase of summarizing this biblical story of how God makes peace through a way that is better. Instead of dealing with us in anger because of our sin, he deals with us in mercy through the work of his son, Jesus. Proverbs 21, verse 31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The word for victory is teshua. It can also be translated salvation. In fact, you find it translated that way about eight times in the Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and maybe if you've hung around churches a while, you've heard another word that sounds like teshua, yeshua. It's the Hebrew pronunciation of the name Jesus. They come from the same word that means rescue, deliverance. A disaster was about to happen and somebody kept it from happening. And that's why it can mean victory in a battle context. Because in the context of battle, if you don't win, you get dead. If you don't win, your whole nation gets conquered and occupied and enslaved, and you live a life of misery, and death is everywhere around you, and disaster has fallen. So we will make sure that doesn't happen. We will develop the best technology our world has ever seen, which in the ancient Near East was a war horse. And we will get the mightiest generals together and we will give them the greatest funding and we will make sure disaster doesn't fall. And here is God saying to us, you can do all of that. But the only thing that will keep death and misery and slavery and disaster from falling on you and on everyone you love is if I step in and do something about it. If I step in 
and win the battle. If I step in and complete the rescue, the salvation, the victory, how will he do it? Freely as a gift, not because we're strong, not because we have more war horses than the next army over, not because we're wise. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord, but because he is gracious and generous and he gives freely. If you've heard that story from the New Testament, it's because it's the same story that runs throughout all of Scripture. And you see the story of Jesus summarized in Proverbs 22.4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. One day we won't have to choose between feasting and fullness and prosperity and abundance and healthy relational peace. One day we will get it all. Because Jesus has walked a path of humility. And because Jesus is now experiencing riches and honor and life. His crucifixion shows us an ultimate display of humility. His resurrection shows us riches and honor and life. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. It shouldn't surprise us to hear the New Testament echoing that thought. In Revelation chapter 7, we hear about God returning to wipe away every tear and to defeat death. And we see a scene of people from every nation worshiping God and singing, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who was slain, but who now sits on the throne. It is a throne of peace. It is better to know Jesus and follow the hard paths of peace and the hard path of humility than to not know him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the complete fulfillment of all wisdom. Thank you for showing us what it means to live humility and to prefer obedience to your Father, even if it meant suffering, over independence from him. Hmm. Fill our hearts with gratitude. And when we see this great gap between the peace we long for and the strife we experience, drive us back to trust in you instead of trust in self. We pray in your name. Amen.